0: Welcome to NSL Unscripted, a national security law podcast brought to you by the National Security Law Department at the U.S. Army's The Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. We bring you conversations and hot topics from NSL practitioners today and hope you enjoy this episode. (laughs)
1: Welcome back to NSL Unscripted. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Laura West, and this is Episode 4. In today's episode, we're going to be talking emerging technologies. We had the privilege of recording our podcast in the Sergeant Major Nolan Reading Room, which is located in the library of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and school. It's a very fancy room. Everyone's sitting in leather-bound chairs right now. And I am joined in the room with Captain Keith Guybell. He's a professor in the National Security Law Department. And he, uh, Captain Navy type, by the way, he holds the portfolio for our emerging technologies, AI, and I'm also seated with Todd Huntley, who, by the way, is ADN. Uh, national security law department alum. Uh, Todd is the current director of the national security law program at Georgetown Law. So welcome, gentlemen.
0: Thank you, Laura. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: It's great to be uh, with you both. And we brought in Todd specifically because Todd is working at Georgetown to face this issue of emerging technologies and how we are instructing students today in the law and what are some of those legal issues. But before we dive into that, I want to ask the question of... When I get those sort of blank stares of what is emerging technology, I want to ask the question of, okay, what are we talking about when we are talking about emerging technology? What what does that even mean, Todd? How about I start with you?
0: Sure. the The definition that comes to my mind first is basically to paraphrase uh, Justice Potter Stewart. I know it when I see it. Um, but actually putting a definition on it is is rather difficult. Um, I, I guess generally, what I would uh, how I would describe it is um, technology that is still largely in the developmental phase that has not seen kind of wide scale either commercial or military application.
1: I like that definition. You know, a lot of times, I guess, It's accompanied by a long laundry list of technologies. Captain Guy Bell, I bet you could give us the laundry list of those technologies. I
2: I can't say I know it by heart, uh, but I do know that when we we talk about this, uh, I think you know one of my slides, I do refer back to the U.S. government's uh, group, sort of the whole administration. I think all of the departments in the executive have come together and have produced the list. And I think it's interesting that the the group includes commerce and perhaps some of the other departments, part Department of the Interior, you know, all of these, all of the departments and maybe some that you wouldn't think of, which makes it clear that this is something that does cut across all disciplines, all areas, uh, and and is of extreme importance for the United States to be the leader in this advanced emerging technology.
1: Okay. And sir, you're talking about the critical and emerging technologies list? Yes. That was produced exactly one year ago today.
2: That is correct, Laura.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and so that list uh, does spell out a number of technologies. Uh, it was produced by the White House, and it goes through... A pretty extensive list of technologies and you know, sub-technologies that the government is concerned about, or at least tracking that has some pretty distinct national security implications. Also, just implications for innovation in the future and staying competitive as a competitor um, in the world. So, okay, I will just rattle some of those off. Typically, we are talking about AI Yes. We're talking about um, hypersonic weapons or or just hypersonics. We're talking about quantum computing, 5G. We're talking about digital technologies. Anything else we can add to this This pretty extensive list?
2: Yeah, I would say microelectronics, uh, which you could probably fold under, whether semiconductors or computer chips which is probably the focus of the competition between the United States and the People's Republic of China right now.
1: No, that's right, sir. Exactly. But the other one you mentioned before we started recording was biotechnology. Yes.
2: Yeah. Biotechnology, um, as we mentioned earlier, I think is one of those things that and I don't know if it's just because we just, you know, are coming out of COVID perhaps or coming to some sort of way to live with it. But biotechnology is one of the things that apparently is scaring a lot of the colleagues that I have spoken to that are dealing with emerging technology that is high on their list.
1: Okay. So that kind of sets a baseline for what we're talking about when we're talking about emerging technologies. Obviously, communication network, digital network technologies, There, there's a huge sub list of what those technologies might be. And the same for AI or autonomous weapons or even biotechnologies. So all these have sub technologies that are below them that might be of particular interest. But that's generally an idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about emerging technologies. Is there anything I'm missing?
2: Um, hot air balloons.
1: Oh yes. Hot air balloons. I heard
2: something about that recently. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Something really emerging. Really so, emerging. Um, yeah. Just a weather balloon. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, the only other thing I would say is that, um, it's not just that list of technologies kind of as standalone technologies, but it's in how they're being combined. Oh, good point. And how they're being – uh how that combination playing on, you know, the attributes of, of each of those individual technologies to gain some advantage or that present perhaps some sort of unique threat. So, you know, I'm thinking of obviously unmanned systems combined with artificial intelligence, machine learning, and perhaps some sort of other digital technologies, you know, that might be presented on the Intel front, you know. Some sort of electronic surveillance, communications eavesdropping.
2: So I think it's it's you know seeing how those are being combined is is also an important thing. So I think Todd makes a critical point because one of the things we try to emphasize in class is that a lot of these emerging technologies can actually be folded under AI or artificial intelligence. Uh, if you think about what powers AI, so let's let's go from the ground up. What do we need? First, we need rare earth elements. So there's an area of competition. So what countries are producing these rare earth elements, uh, the import-export controls on that. And then what do these rare earth elements do? Well, that's what we use to build our semiconductors. So then you have the semiconductors. And then once you have that, uh, there's an alternative, perhaps, which is quantum, which is a whole other area where we can get into about encryption and other things that uh, governments are concerned about. And all of these things would power our AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I do feel like, although there are tons of emerging technologies we could talk about, I think the majority of them, because even biotech, I think you can talk about how you create these new types of biotechnologies, again, is using this enhanced intelligence.
1: Even the 5G network.
2: Right. And so the 5G network is how we transport this intelligence. Right. So when we talk about lethal autonomous weapon systems, we can talk about using AI in a physical way in terms of like a robot or virtually over the air. So we're so it's really the delivery system.
1: Okay, let's dig a little deeper on AI. So sir, AI, can you break that down for us because there are different levels of what we're talking about when we're talking about AI?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that's interesting and I've seen presentations on this, but there are dozens of definitions for AI just the same as there would be for emerging technology. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's hard to, to talk about what exactly is it? Is it just mimicking human intelligence? Is it enhancing human intelligence? Is it its own intelligence, right? And so then we can get into a whole philosophical discussion about what that is and where it gets to that. So what I get mostly concerned about is people conflate different levels of AI and they try to have a conversation and they talk past each other. So in terms of a basic AI, which doesn't have machine learning, right? So you program something and it looks like it's intelligent because it's answering back to you, right? You've all seen this with your digital assistants, And you realize that they're not actually that smart, right? And then we get to machine learning systems where you program an AI system, perhaps with algorithms, if-then statements, but then a machine learning system can actually come up with its own algorithm to solve a problem. So it's a whole nother level of AI. And then, of course, we get to the sort of the science fiction level, which is artificial general intelligence, which a lot of people who are trying to ban lethal autonomous weapon systems invoke this idea of the killer robot, the Terminator, or the artificial and general intelligence, which we don't have, and we may never have. So that's sort of my idea of sort of how people categorize AI and mm-hmm. sort of where we can run afoul when we're trying to discuss it.
1: Could you say AI is the ability to do something that is human-like?
2: Yes. I mean, absolutely. And I think, again, that's a confusion. So, for example, if I'm talking to a computer scientist, they might say that the AI made a decision. And technically, that might be an accurate way to describe how this AI used its computing to solve a problem. But again, that conflates when you use the word decision, we equate the word decision with humans. Mm -hmm. And so, again, when we're talking about the use of lethal autonomous weapon systems and human control and who's making the decisions, it gets everything confused.
1: How would you summarize it then for somebody just getting introduced to artificial intelligence?
2: I think AI enhances human intelligence. And, and honestly, that's the way it's being used in national security right now. So whether we're talking about intelligence collection or trying to sift through enormous amounts of data and make some sort of sense of it, that's, that's where AI is currently being used to sort of enhance decision making, human decision making. So I would say it is an enhancement device, not something that exists on its own.
1: Because AI would need at some point, some human to, or as they say, a human in the loop to make some decision point, just when does that occur? And how does that learning process occur? Right,
2: right. right. And, you know, one of the most interesting things, so the new, so the, the Jake, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center has now converted over the past year to the CDAO. Unfortunately, we have so many acronyms, I forget what they mean. But uh, the leader of that, which is the the new Department of Defense lead for artificial intelligence, has uh, recently, I think, put out an article that we have all of this data, but now we actually need people like they have in China to sit down and label each piece of data so that when we teach our artificial intelligence, that they can actually spot the things that we're trying to get them to spot.
1: So... Todd, I know before we sat down, uh, you mentioned that Georgetown has a new program or a new course on AI. Is there anything you want to add to that?
0: Yeah. So um, Professor Mitt Regan uh, is co-teaching this course actually with, I believe he's a computer scientist slash ethicist. Um, and, uh, we have a course specifically on national security law and ethics implications of artificial intelligence. The school had, um, an artificial intelligence course, I think maybe a couple of them, but it was focused primarily on kind of commercial applications, things that would relate such as, um, You know, when that driverless car hits somebody, right? So liability implications, insurance implications, uh, but also included a kind of a basic understanding, teaching a basic understanding of what is artificial intelligence. So we're excited to finally have a national security specific course on this.
1: Well, so that comes to another question I have, which is, you know, understanding what the baseline for emerging technologies is. And one of those being uh, a big part of that being AI. And Todd, you're mentioning that Georgetown has this course. And here at the JAG school, we are teaching this as well to students. But I want to ask both of you gentlemen, what do you think is the best way to move forward to teach national security practitioners about emerging technologies? What's the best way to do that? What are some of the big legal issues that we need to make sure that practitioners are keyed into? And how do we integrate other practice areas? Specifically contracting. (laughs) Um, so Todd, I'll start with
0: you. That's, that's a great question. I mean, you could, you know, I mean, just, I think based on what you had mentioned, you know, that's a a series of two or three, maybe even four different courses that Mm -hmm. you can string together over the course of a, you know, a law school, um, you know, curriculum. And so I think, um, one is, giving students a basic understanding of the technology, just as what Keith was mentioning, right? What do we mean when we say artificial intelligence and the fact that it's not one, just one thing, right? There are different levels to it and how those fit together, how they're developed. So I think in that way, having somebody, having a person who understands the technology, maybe not even a lawyer, um, help teach a course like that to give the students the basic understanding. And then from there, splitting off into those different issues, such as, okay, if this is the technology, how do we develop that technology, which, as you mentioned, you know, it comes down to contracting or right? maybe comes down to some fiscal law questions. So giving students an understanding of those different issues. And I think you really need those before you go on to the more kind of use specific issues that might arise, such as know, use of artificial intelligence to sift through large amounts of data and the privacy issues that go along with that or um, issues that are related to the use of uh, artificial intelligence in autonomous uh, vehicles or vessels. Um, And so I think, you know, the course that we have now is, I believe, a bit of an overview kind of hitting on, you know, some of the more important or more um, kind of, you know, issues that are in the in the media, what you see today. Um, But to really prepare the students, we need to probably go into a lot further, um, more depth, as you mentioned, in some of those other areas that we normally don't maybe immediately think of as being national security law related.
1: For example, what were, what would be some of those? I'll open that to both of you. What would be some of those more in-depth legal issues or, areas that intersect within um, emerging technologies.
2: Yeah. So one of the interesting points when we talk about AI and the different levels of autonomy is really machine learning is really the crux, I think, of what we're we're trying to figure out. And one of the problems with machine learning systems, at least currently, is there is this idea of the black box. And the idea of the black box is basically You know, and the analogy comes from obviously aircraft, right? So an aircraft crashes and you're trying to figure out, you know, why did that aircraft crash? So you take out the black box and you look at the flight recording and you say, oh, this is what happened. Apparently this uh, plane malfunctioned and that's what caused it to crash. And that's a key piece of information for us to design a better airplane. Well, if you have an AI and it decides to create its own algorithm to come up with a different type of programming to accomplish the same task. And it doesn't exactly do what you expected it to do. And you're saying, why did that happen? What did we do wrong? How did we program it? And the truth is, we don't know. Why? Because right now, we don't have the forensic ability of a black box to go back into that machine learning system and find out why it did what it did. So that's That's a key kind of point about this. And then the only other thing I'd like to mention is to kind of go back to what Todd said and sort of the whole Georgetown program. And I think it might be easy to sort of not pick up on the way he described that class. But to your question, how to teach this, I think it's absolutely essential that it's interdisciplinary. You can't silo the legal aspects from the ethical aspects. And when I say ethical, I do mean philosophical because I know, at least in the military, we, th- we think of ethics in a very uh, different way. Uh, and the scientific part. You really need all three on board to effectively teach this subject. Because, and, and they all need to be in some sort of agreement. Going yeah. back to the you know, use of the word decision and, and other types of terms that we could use that could be misconstrued depending on which discipline you're actually in.
1: So, let's break that down a little bit more, right? So, we say we, we need to understand the actual technology, Um, and we need to understand the law and the ethics. So looking at the law, Todd, you started raising some legal issues of privacy, and then obviously the contract and fiscal aspect of actually getting the things that our clients need. So what other tricky legal areas are there in emerging technologies. I mean, that's, that's a huge question because I think it, it will also be technology specific because you could have some sort of technology that implicates privacy or surveillance laws versus another technology that has none of those implications. So could you give some examples of what those legal issues might be? Um, or issues that sometimes practitioners might not even know are lurking under there when they're dealing with these uh, technologies.
0: Yeah, I think to kind of piggyback off what Keith had mentioned about the black box, I mean, as we know as JAGs, right, one of the, our bread and butter uh, task is advising commanders on investigations when things go wrong. And as we integrate artificial intelligence into more and more activities and operations across the, the Department of Defense and things go wrong, anywhere from perhaps, you know, a, um, some, something happening in the AI that's tracking logistics chains all the way up to, you know, Artificial intelligence that results in civilian casualties during you know military operations. How are we kind of placed to understand how the artificial intelligence worked in that specific application? And is there a way to go back and review it so that it can, commanders can you know learn what happened and just as he said right, then you know make improvements on either the process or the actual trinket that's being designed or operated or operations. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of come back around to the acquisition piece, right? Typically, JAGs and I believe contract, you know, acquisition attorneys have not become involved in the process until fairly late in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, not at the earliest develop- developmental stages. And I think that's, that is one thing that's going to have to change. Uh, again, not being a contract and acquisition specialist. I don't know exactly how we would go about doing that, but working with, contractors, weapons developers, technology developers early on so that they understand what the requirements are f- you know, from the end user in being able to explain and learn from the artificial intelligence. Basically, integrating the legal, moral, and ethical concerns into artificial intelligence at the earliest stages of development.
1: And maybe our legal analysis in the early stages of development doesn't fully consider all the legal issues or frames it in the wrong way. And I say that because my experience dealing with cyber operations was, you know, you mentioned the Department of Defense specifically and how we do legal reviews, because obviously we have a requirement to to do legal reviews for weapons. And so there is always a question of, well, what does a cyber weapon look like? It, does that even exist? Because really, we're looking at software. Yes, some hardware issues, right? But the technology today, I think, is going to be more and more software-based. And so the way we acquire it for one particular use might not be how we ultimately use it operationally. And I think, you know, at least our potential policies or way we have conducted business in the past has always been review this for the use that we think we are bringing it in for. But then that might not capture the legal issues for how it is used later if we were to combine other technologies with it. And then how we might operationally use it in the future. So I see all, all of those sort of issues arising with emerging technologies. Yeah.
2: And just, Laura, to your point, uh, it brings up two, two things that I've heard, at least in the naval context, which is if we do a review uh, only on new weapon systems, but we have one of these unmanned systems and we don't consider it to be a weapon system at the time because it doesn't necessarily have any weaponry on it. And then at some later point, we do add some lethality to it. Does that – is there a process that everyone will recognize to make sure that that now gets reviewed? I also recently spoke at a a workshop on sort of the moral responsibility dealing with lethal autonomous weapon systems. And one of the questions that I got during – after my presentation was, well – it's great that you're doing these weapon reviews, but what if the AI system or autonomous system gets an over-the-air update? Does that then go through another weapons review? And of course, you know, being the lawyer dancing on my feet, I would say, well, of course, that depends on was it a whole new operating system or just you know, uh, you know, just a minor upgrade, and and then they, but but it does raise the issue. Okay, who's going to determine that? And are is everybody talking to each other? Such that the that our process, which is required, you know, under the additional protocols, which although the United States has not signed on to, uh, we do consider that to be our policy. And so, how would we comply with our own policy unless the lawyers, the scientists, and perhaps the ethicists are all sort of joined at the hip mm-hmm. for all of these various systems,
1: right? So we have issues with our policies, perhaps, as far as considering when we need to do the legal reviews or what we're looking for in the legal reviews. And then is that preventing us from perhaps procuring the item? But then there's also the issue, you know, that you were raising, Todd, earlier, how the technologies are actually used ultimately by our clients. How the technologies are then being integrated. I think that was your other yes. point, Todd, is yes. the integration of these technologies, right? So we might be doing the legal review for procuring, you know, one piece of hardware, or I, I think, honestly, it's going to be a lot of software. software. Yep. Um, But we might be getting you know, one legal review for that and then that software or technology somehow is integrated into another technology and that changes the way we use it. And so how do we then integrate those legal reviews or how does that change the actual legal issue itself, right? While we were talking, the other thing that I was thinking about for legal issues is something that we probably don't think a lot or enough about is export control laws. Because our export control laws sometimes did not or sometimes don't answer the mail on these emerging technologies. And what does this piece of software look like as far as Again, you know, like the, the idea, is this a weapon? Is this something we can't share with our partners? Because then that has implications in security cooperation and being able to help further develop these technologies, use these technologies with our allies and partners. I don't know if Todd, you have anything else or thoughts now, on that?
0: You've raised several, you know, very interesting, complex, uh, issues all together there. Um, and I would say that, um, this could end up being the DOD Attorney Full Employment Act, right? That if we're going to try to do all of these legal reviews, you know, at different stages in development and, and then impose requirements for further reviews as those systems are updated or deployed in new ways or combined in new ways, um, we're just not going to be able to do that, right? And so I think, um, an approach might be, Again, working with developers early on so they gain a better understanding of what the requirements are, again, on the legal, moral, and ethical issues, and then having attorneys who understand these issues placed with commanders and decision makers, again, that are going to have to be able to advise on a wide range of uses and applications. You're not going to be able to do this at every you know different stage of development, mm-hmm. Um because otherwise you're going to reach some level of paralysis. And, and obviously that is probably maybe one of the greatest dangers in this area is that we, you know, we let our own bureaucracy stymie the innovation and development of these new systems. So how do we balance those things? Um, and I think, you know, on that piece, again, you know, we may have to just have a, a, a little bit of an earlier um, approach and then, you know, have lawyers on the back end that know the technology and can can help advise on the uh, export controls and sanctions issues. uh, I believe uh Pete Hayden and Eric Widmer talked a little bit about the importance of, you know, reaching out and, um you know, knowing who some of our interagency counterparts are, because obviously this is a huge issue right now at Commerce, at Treasury, at DHS. Um, you know, they've, they have an entire CIFIA section, but it's been expanded to include what they call Team Telecom that looks at, you know, basically foreign investment in telecommunications technologies. And so bringing DOD attorneys, JAGs together with some of those other attorneys from other agencies that are really the experts. I think we probably need to do a little bit more on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Todd, just so in case our listeners missed episode one. <laughs> Colonel Colonel Pete Hayden and Colonel Eric Widmar were in episode 1 talking about export controls and the evolution of national security law and I, I believe that's what you're referring yes, to. Yes, <laughs> exactly.
0: So, if you haven't done so already, go back and listen to episode 1. <laughs>
1: that's right. It's prerequisite. <laughs> <laughs> Sir.
2: Yeah, so uh now. so I, I'll try not to uh go on too long, but I all of this really awesome, inspiring, uh, thought-provoking discussion has uh, made me realize that there's probably um, several topics that we have not mentioned that I just want to mention really quickly. Oh, great. Okay. So, first of all, the timing of this podcast is really fortuitous because uh, just recently the Department of Defense has updated its autonomy and weapon systems That's right. directive. That's uh, and so, a lot of these discussions that we've talked about in terms of uh, weapons reviews or the incorporation of sort of this idea of responsible AI or AI ethics, but I think that the DOD is calling it uh, responsible AI, uh, is now incorporated into this directive. And the other part that we've sort of talked around, but just for some of our listeners that may not actually understand what goes into a weapons review. Uh, we, we may be overcomplicating things a little bit too much. So if we think about that a weapons review generally okay, in a very basic way covers uh, the five or at least primarily the four, uh, lo- four of the five law of war principles, I think, that the United States uh, currently recognize in the DOD law of war manual, which is uh, – uh, you know, do we do we need to do this? Is there some kind of necessity to actually have a weapon like this in our arsenal? Uh, it you know, can it actually distinguish between combatants and civilians or non-combatants? Uh, is is it capable of being used in a proportional way? And then is it designed to cause unnecessary suffering? Right. So so those are sort of the primary things. I, I'm making another argument and for perhaps another podcast that maybe we could weave in the fifth uh, law of war principle of honor. Uh, But for now, if we just stick to those four, so one of the questions might be if there's an over-the-air update which affects the AI's ability to distinguish targets, perhaps that would trigger a legal review, whereas some other over-the-air update, which and I'm trying to think of something that would be a good example of, of something that would not trigger one of those law of war principle concerns. Uh, you know that that it wouldn't it wouldn't need one but this is the level of detail that we actually need uh, the jags and lawyers and, and thinkers to think through when when and when do we cuz let's face it i mean we obviously want these things to comply with the law of war so if there's ever going to be a time where it gets updated or modified in a way that that would somehow interfere with that we need to address it and we need to address it in a way That makes all of our allies and partners comfortable. And that kind of brings in the ethics aspect of it. But the truth is our allies and partners want to work with us, but they also only can work with us if they can convince their governments that we're doing this in a way that is ethical. So and also industry, right? It used to be that the DOD was the industry leaders, and now we find that private industry are the leaders in some of these emerging tech. In order to work with private industry, they also may require some level of ethics reviews. So I think that's important. Um, and then I think Todd did a good job of covering the, uh, the import-export controls and sort of BIS and all of the other aspects of government that are working. So the only other thing that we haven't talked about is when it comes to lethal autonomous weapon systems and where this is being debated in terms of preemptively banning autonomous weapon systems it's happening at the united nations level uh so we have a a treaty called the ccw which stands for the convention on conventional weapons or certain conventional weapons i believe yeah (laughs) uh but uh there's a group of government experts convenes periodically to try to come to some sort of agreement on these issues about when and how we can use lethal autonomous weapon systems if i could just jump in
0: there um We've talked a lot when we're talking about legal reviews of artificial intelligence and related systems, right? We've talked a lot and referred back to weapon systems. Probably something like 90% of these systems are not going to be considered weapon right. systems. And so I think we need to make sure we keep distinct what types of reviews we want to do on those systems that fall outside of the, you know, our traditional you know, lethal and non-lethal weapon systems reviews. And that's going to, I think, bring in, you know, in the the area where I see or perhaps where I've been thinking about more is the application of artificial intelligence and related systems to intelligence gathering and intelligence analysis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, considering those things such as, you know, U.S., you know, data privacy laws, you know, restrictions on collection on U.S. persons information. But then again, as Keith mentioned, right, if we're going to work and build and deploy these systems with allies, what about the requirements in their Legal systems. Are we going to have to comply or how are we going to comply with any type of, you know, privacy restrictions that they might have in place on the collection, use and analysis of information by an artificial intelligence system?
1: Right. And you're probably referring to something like the GDPR. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, Europeans um, perception that data rights is really a fundamental human right, which is opposite of what the United States maybe views it as. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I think looking at data and the department's data strategy, which came out in 2020, you know, data, I think is, and if you look at our national security strategies, data is the new energy. Um, So I, I think that this is a definitely a gap understanding you know, what is what is the left and right limits of how we use data, procure data, and how do we u- apply it to military operations, specifically, Todd, you know, you're mentioning intelligence operations. Because yes. obviously that's where uh, historically we have the concerns for oversight, right? Yes. So what does that particularly look like? So it's not – it's as – uh granular as looking at just the data right that's so that's a great point. It's not just the these technologies that come in looking at them as weapon systems, but how are we looking at the building blocks
0: right and it's you know I think to take it kind of a step further, it's not just intelligence collection and analysis and privacy concerns, but it's the use of that data for influence operations online right. social media some things that we may also be concerned about and how will this emerging technology you know impact that and affect you know both the threat that we're dealing with but also perhaps enhance our own capabilities to conduct those types of operations
1: right so great point we've spent a lot of time talking about AI, <laughs> autonomous weapons, but I mean, Todd, you're bringing up the idea that emerging technologies is, is, is also these digital network technology. So things like bots, or technology, I mean, I guess, AI, again, comes into the place of, <laughs> Captain Guy Bell, to your point, AI with technologies that can basically identify facial recognition and that can go towards ubiquitous technical surveillance um, or technologies like advertising technologies that are micro-targeting individuals? And how does that then play into our information operations? Again, these are all actually emerging technologies that are out there. So you can see the vast array of Emerging technologies is is pretty immense. We've been talking for quite a while on all different kinds of technologies, what are some of those legal issues that we need to spot, how we could better educate or inform ourselves about emerging technologies. I sort of want to make some concluding thoughts here for our listeners. And a couple of years ago, the Senate Armed Services Committee had a hearing on emerging technologies and their impact on national security. This was in 2021. And there was a statement by Mr. Brad Smith. He's the president of Microsoft Corporation. Basically, he was giving testimony and about emerging technologies. And he made sort of the succinct point of why do we as a nation care or at least think About what does this mean for the defense of the country in the future? Why do we need to be concerned about emerging technologies and all these issues surrounding them? I bring that up because I thought he sort of summarized the cause for concern in a good way. And he basically said, Why we're concerned is China, number one, as our competitor, they're formidable competitor in this area. And two, being the internet, that the internet has really changed everything as far as the United States thinking about its security from adversaries or competitors. In other words, uh, you made the point that and, you know geography has sort of always been the united states friend that we've you know two oceans that um can keep our adversaries at a distance but the internet has pretty much changed that and we're everybody's neighbor now and these technologies can reach us pretty easily those are sort of the two causes for concern that he raised. And I think are pretty, it's a pretty good way to summarize that. And Captain Gabelle, I kind of want to turn to you because I know that you teach a, a course in China or about China. Um, not in China, about China. <laughs> and, and, and turn it over to you to maybe give us some closing thoughts about why is it that that statement rings true about why we care about emerging technology?
2: Yeah, thanks, Laura. I think uh, that's an excellent uh, conclusion uh, statement to to read because, as you mentioned, I do teach a a grad course elective on China law and strategy. And that has informed uh, most of my knowledge about emerging technology. And for example. When we teach students about the Department of Defense strategy and its four priorities, two of those are focused on the People's Republic of China. And if you look into sort of why China became focused on the United States and military in general, it goes back to the the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, where China looked at how the United States and its allies uh, defeated, I think it was the fourth largest army at the time uh, with was Iraq. And they noticed that we did it with net-centric warfare. Uh, So if you fast forward to today and you look at the DOD report to Congress on China, which, by the way, is a fantastic resource if you want to get more uh, information about this subject, but now it's called Intelligized Warfare. And the idea is it it looks into uh, China's national strategy of military civil fusion. And if you search on in the internet there's a one pager by the department of state where they talk about how ai is a central part of the current uh prc strategy to defeat the united states and its uh, and its allies you know, militarily uh, and as far as the internet's concerned uh, i agree again there is a little known agency called the itu which actually controls internet standards Uh, And so uh, I'll leave it up to our listeners to kind of do more research on that. Otherwise, I would love to talk more about China.
1: In perhaps a future podcast, sir. How does that sound?
2: All right, let's do it.
1: (laughs) Sounds good, sir. And so, Todd, turn to you for some closing thoughts you know we've we've talked a lot about you know a handful of emerging technologies like artificial intelligence autonomous systems biotechnology we raised we talked a, a bit about communication and networking technologies but we didn't really get into advanced nuclear energy technologies or directed energy you know we mentioned quantum computing and hypersonics but we, were, we didn't get down in any specifics. But, you know, there's also blockchain and cryptocurrency or digital assets. So financial technologies, and even space technologies, there's, there's a huge laundry list out there. We didn't really get into all of those. I wanted to turn it over to you if you had any thoughts on on any of those particular areas, or, or really anything that we've we've talked about here today for our listeners.
0: Great. Well, thanks, Laura. Thanks again for having me. It's great to be back at uh, T Aglex and also great to be back and see a alum of the Georgetown National Security Law LLM <laughs> <That's> program. <right. laughs> but there's so much we didn't cover. Um, and we would never have enough time. And obviously, um, when we talk about emerging technology, who knows what the next thing that will emerge will be. Right. And so, you know, for our listeners who are again thinking about, how do I educate myself and be prepared to advise my commander, my principal, my client on these issues? Um, I would say why the technology is different and you'll probably have to do maybe a little more deeper digging, uh, than you might if it's just advising on a law of armed conflict question. The principles are the same. You have to understand your client's business. You have to understand the mission and the commander's intent. And then you have to apply at least a certain level of technological knowledge of how that is going to be accomplished. And so, again, part of it will be doing professional reading, perhaps taking online courses, perhaps enrolling in a course at a university or law school, but it's also talking with your commander and your principal to understand what they're thinking in this area so that you can apply the two and give the best advice.
1: Thanks, Todd. This was great. I really appreciate both of you coming to join me in the NOLAN room. Um, I hope the the listeners out there enjoyed this episode. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thanks, Laura.
0: This episode of NSL Unscripted was brought to you by the National Security Law Department, at the U.S. Army's The Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. The views presented are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or its components, the Department of the Army, or the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. Our department also produces the Operational Law Handbook, accessible online.
2: We hope you have enjoyed this episode and look forward to future episodes for NSL practitioners. Thank you.